0: that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, Culminators. Thank you for joining me on this cloudy day in Newark. Uh, For me, it's uh, June 22nd. You'll see this uh, a little bit further out by then. I'm sure the sun will have cleared up, but if it hasn't, you've come to the right place because I've got Jim Hansen, who is the executive director, if you didn't know, of the plan for the counterattack, of americamatters.com of the book that he wrote winning the second Civil War without firing a shot Jim Hansen there's a video there's all the things there's the handsome face
1: <laughs> look just like me
0: it looks just like you except a little bit more contrast
1: <laughs> what's going on man hey good to be with you Ron uh there's all kinds of stuff going on and I don't know I think I think the badness of it is good for us. How about that? I'm glad
0: to hear that. Well, you know, in certain respects, that's right. I mean, the worse it gets, the better it gets. In as long as we're allowed to make it better. One of the things you and I talked about briefly before we we started recording is. They don't want us to let it let it. They don't want to let us make it better. you and I have been uh, conversing mostly offline for a, a long time, and uh, sometimes with our friend Kurt Schlichter about uh, basically insurrection-y stuff that we want to do. And uh, you know, we are we are uh, dangerous to the state uh, right now. We're still allowed to have this discussion and to to share it with America, but who knows when they'll put the plug on us? You mentioned something in our little warm-up here that you think is the threat du jour. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the old threats have receded, but something that is all the, the, all the hottest talk in across the Fruita Plain and uh, in Washington as well, red flag laws. What's, what's your take on this?
1: Yeah, well, I, I, as I sit on my perch on the ridge overlooking Washington, DC, Um, Our own team is deserting us. The rhinos have have caved to the requirement to do something about gun Surprisingly. Yeah, I know. Well, they do it every time. We should should be used to it. Um, And and I think, to be honest, first thing I'll say is the gun law that they're talking about, the gun bill they're talking about, is much less egregious than it could have been and then, honestly, than I expected. Um, there, There is no assault weapon ban. There's no magazine ban. They didn't change the ownership ages. There's a lot of things they wanted to do, the left did, um, that they didn't. But the one thing that the, the right caved on was to get the phrase red flag laws into play. And they didn't make it a, a federal red flag law, which I think is a bonus. But what they're doing is they're giving money to the states. Well, the biggest bonus the of all right there, of,
0: the biggest bonus
1: of not making it a federal law is that it won't be enforced by the FBI. Yeah, and and federalism is our friend. You know, right now, I mean, we are we are gathering into our tribes by which states are run by people who agree with us. So I think if you are someone who is a conservative, you should consider living in a conservative state, because otherwise you're going to be under the thumb of, of the feds who don't want that. But by not making a federal law, they're simply throwing money at states that want to do that. And, and I think that's good. If it was a federal law, the FBI could use it to attack political opponents and, and those who dissent um, in ways because of, of what they say online. I, I make a lot of comments online about how if the government ever gets too tyrannical, I will work to actively overthrow it using my Second Amendment rights. That may, at some point, if the feds got their way, become a reason to grab my guns, and so we we dodged that bullet to go mix some good metaphors, and and they only made it you know some money for the states. So I think that allows our governors, our Republican governors, um, to not have red flag laws, or if you're Ron DeSantis, to get rid of the one in Florida.
0: So, I mean, I think you'd agree that if you left it up to the you know the usual suspects, what you just described that wouldn't be a someday situation that would be right now i mean they're you know what they've done with the january 6th business turning it into the reichstock fire of the 21st century um as an excuse to you know clamp down on political opposition thank god not quite as violently but don't ask out of anyone who's been arrested in connection with january 6th um you know you just basically said I reserve the right, the God given right, to oppose tyranny by armed force if necessary. That, that's insurrection, right?
1: Um, that is a threat of insurrection, I guess, at some level. You know, I mean that's the that's the really fine line. The founders put the Second Amendment in play specifically because they had just done a violent revolution against a tyrannical government to overthrow it and they did not want the government to have a monopoly on the ability to commit violence and consequently for the people to have have a right to vote against tyranny, if it got to that point, um, with their own lives and the weapons they need to do that. So I I think yes, but I I fear, and, and I think legitimately, like you said, that given the right people in power in Washington and in the courts, they would do what Beto O'Rourke wants. And and I'd have him kicking on my door, you know, saying, here you go, give me all of your semi-automatic weapons. You can keep one revolver for self-defense. And that's not what the founders wanted, and we won't accept that. So I think this, at some level, we dodged a bullet with this minor victory in the midst of the usual rhino collapse and defeat.
0: Well, I mean, to be fair, if if this is the bill that came out of the committee, it would seem that there wasn't such a collapse. In other words, you're saying, well, if there were, if there had been no collapse at all, there'd be no bill at all. But given that politics is what politics is, and given that the Republic, you know, I, I do think one thing we have to always remember is that um, Republicans, Republicans are, are in, Playing on an even playing field, right? right. They aren't. It isn't just our ideas versus their ideas, our personalities versus their personalities. It is essentially every institution in the United States that isn't a pack or a lobby, and most that are. You know, the academy, law enforcement, most of law enforcement, every federal agency. Right now, both houses of Congress, uh, the judiciary. Republicans don't really have the option of standing as firmly as it's easier as as we armchair quarterbacks would like them to do. So to a large extent, in order to, you know, to sort of keep the keep the fires burning and you know, and fight live to fight another day, they agreed to what I think you're describing as a fairly toothless, well, look, we've done something kind of bill. Would that be a fair way of putting it?
1: Yeah, and I, and I think there's a, I, you described O'Sullivan's law, which is any organization that is not inherently conservative becomes liberal over time, and I think we've seen pretty much all of them follow that law. Well, but you I know, think to your point.
0: Oh, yeah. I just want to remind people here who are not familiar with your background that you are a former Army Special Forces Weapon. You are a former army special force weapon, I guess, or or multiple or multiple weapons. <laughs> that includes the armed forces. O'Sullivan's law has doesn't it? Um, astonishingly, would you have ever thought it when you were in the sadly?
1: Force? No, no. And up till five or six years ago, I would I would have laughed at anyone who claimed you know that we'd be having pronoun days and safe space training, um, in the military. It's absurd. But you know, and we can fight back against that. And I understand the anger of people. And, and as you were describing the idea that we, if we collapse at all, we give away the whole farm. Well, politics is never an all or nothing kind of game. And I think our team needs to go ahead and understand that. We can push back and, and we should. We should primary the rhinos. We should push back on them and all that. But at some level, you have to understand that politicians will do politics. And when it comes to next election day, We're not going to vote against someone who did something we don't like when they vote with us 80 plus percent of the time. We're going to pull the lever for the guy or gal who is on our side against someone who's an obvious enemy. And I think that's that's where I think the you know, the the purists need to go ahead and and be angry. I don't blame you. I'm angry. But understand what you said is is we're dealing with politics and politicians. They're never going to have the spines we want.
0: There is one personality in particular who it's kind of hard to figure out what side he's on, on that particular battle. His name is Donald J. Trump. (laughs) Some of his endorsements this year for the midterms have been, how shall we put it? Hard to understand.
1: Sketchy. What's going on, Jim? What do you think's going on back there? Uh, The same thing that's always been going on. Trump is not, he doesn't have an ideology. He has Trumpism as his guiding force. So he likes people he likes. He likes celebrities. You know, he's got a a known set of, of personnel related problems that have plagued him, you know, through his whole administration. And I think he saved the country. You know, the three justices he put on the Supreme Court saved us from the possibility of an actual insurrection had Hillary than uh, the one appointing them. So I, I, I think they would be gathering our guns and we would be under a hate speech restriction had she appointed three oh, liberal gosh. Sotomayors, right? So I will never, I, I, you know, I have my, my issues with Trump, but he will go down in history as, as saving the Republic. But to your point, he, he absolutely um, has a tendency to go on personality rather than you know, principles and i think that has has shown up in dr oz and some of these other you know unpleasant um places where he's he's backed the wrong person and you know we we know that and we'll see how it goes i think he's going to be primaried i don't think he has a clear walk to the republican nomination you know obviously pence and pompeo want a shot ted cruz probably wants a shot and i think ron DeSantis is smartly staying on the sidelines waiting to see how it plays out but you know, Trump has, has not done himself any favors with some of those decisions.
0: No, I think he hasn't. And, uh, I, you know, listen, I, I don't think that's really our topic. We can handicap the Donald Trump, <laughs> the, Donald Trump's political future in a couple of years. Uh, although, you know, he, I'm sure he I'm sure he's already made some decisions that he's just not sharing with us. Um, you mentioned you know, you and I have been talking for a long time about about what the government is doing to suppress dissent, and you know, we talk about the red the red flags. Um, we've talked a lot about about tech tech censorship. I had a very interesting conversation, which I uh, late last week, which I posted this uh, yesterday as as uh, episode seventy one on the culmination um with Ashley Baker from the committee for justice and it was interesting because I I I don't like getting schooled uh but it happens and it happens not only to the best of us but at the hands of the best of us um Randy Barnett once left me with a black eye and um I I think that Adrian Vermule, frankly, uh, it was a technical knockout on his part. I mean, we are talking about some of the smartest people in the world. Actually, is um, a very, very young person. So that's a little bit harder for me to take. Um, But she is the director of the Committee for Justice and the Allied Antitrust um, Group. And I thought I'd have a great conversation with her about why we should be using antitrust law to regulate big tech and that's something i've heard from in my discussions with guys like ken buck and uh, joe kent one guy who's in congress one guy who wants to get into congress and she hit the brakes so fast on that and said basically you really wanna turn both the antitrust division and the federal trade commission into two more agencies that are gonna be political um, water bearers for 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 one party. Cause you know, what's the name of your Irishman's law again? O'Sullivan. O'Sullivan, yeah. she, didn't, she didn't quote O'Sullivan's law but if it's gonna be done by the government then that, that means it's gonna be done by the deep state. And if it's gonna be done by the deep state you're not going to like how it comes out and it definitely gave me some pause.
1: You ever think about it in those terms? It's I mean, any conservative who is worthy of the name believes that government is rarely ever the answer. And I think it's kind of it's the tool of last resort. If we've exhausted every other possibility, I'm willing to use government power. I'm willing to use executive power because in a lot of places right now, Um, We're beaten so badly that the normal methods no longer have any effect that's going to work. I got to say, the the most recent thing that might have changed my mind about this is Elon Musk putting in an offer for Twitter. If he buys Twitter, the game changes. And he picked a fight that I think we need to have in public and, and the left bit. He said, I'm for free speech. They said, we're for the thought police. And I'm like, yes, you know, even more than the fact that, that it would be nice for our ideas to have a place, you know, to compete somewhat fairly. It's more important to frame the issue as the idea of free speech short of incitement to, to violence, per Brandenburg. And the thought police trying to make sure nobody's feelings get hurt, which is a lost Cause I want to have that argument, and I think Elon Musk has done more to help us in non-governmental ways, which is the the preferred technique, um, than anyone else. I wish we had more billionaires like him.
0: And I wish that you were one of them, Jim.
1: <laughs> oh, the world would be in for it if I had that kind of money. I call well, you it F U money. <laughs> yeah, well, because <laughs> you don't even, have to care what anyone thinks. Even the interest on in that kind of money for right? a
0: couple of months, for a couple of days. <laughs> Um, there's no question that Elon Musk has already, in my view, has already changed the game. And it looks like he's actually getting closer to really closing that deal. It is weird, isn't it, how the the Twitter people keep switching on and off the shadow banning and the algorithm okay. games again? <laughs> I just, yeah, don't, I, I, don't,
1: I see it on a, almost a, a weekly basis. I can, I can, cause I follow my stats because we've done a lot of work on this. You know, we helped oh, expose right. the original <clears throat> shadow bands, you know, and the quality filter we helped kill that. Um, by take a step back. Examiner. Tell me
0: when you say, is we, you don't mean we the royal we, tell, tell me who you're talking, tell me what, tell me and uh, our security studies group
1: about. Yeah. Security studies group did a, a look when the, when Twitter put out what they called the quality filter. And we did some digging behind the scenes with some pretty powerful tools. And, and this was when they banned some Republican, um, or they put a quality filter on some Republican <laughs> candidates and Congress people's accounts, but not on their Democrat opponents. So there was a legitimate reason this was a, a public concern, not a private concern. And, and what they did is they simply created a quality filter that allowed the left to use a heckler's veto. And once you've got a certain number of strikes against your account and complaints against your account, they, they downgraded your reach. And they, it was an official thing and they were dumb enough to announce it was the problem. They, they let us know it was happening instead of letting us wonder. And so we gave Congress some of the ammo about how that was going on and told them what questions to ask. And you know then they, Twitter backed down and they pulled it and went to, to trickier things like you mentioned like using their algorithms and even just using the inherent bias of their employees who do the the actual sorting of complaints and the sorting of violations to decide oh well these are worth you know going ahead and, and taking away people's reach for and these aren't so it's a, it's been a long fight but i think by scaring them uh, into wondering whether he's going to be their new boss he's he's elon has changed the game And I think if this closes and the board voted unanimously for it, um, then he can go in and tell them that's no longer a policy I will allow. And I will be as happy as anyone could be because our ideas win if people can see him.
0: I mean, that really is something that you see. I mean, that's the difference between a a system that is confident in its, you know, in, in its ideological foundations and in its first principles and one that isn't. But I don't think either you or I, anyone listening, needs to, you know, needs to be reminded of that. That's you know, it's obvious to to reasonable people. I mean, I, I I do think, and I think that actually Elon thinks also that the standard in our ideal Jim Hansen or Elon Musk run Twitter, Twitter is may or may may not actually be a Brandenburg kind of everything, but you know incitement to violence because from what I've seen him tweet and what what I would tweet if I were he I do think that Twitter did a very good job cleaning up a lot of racial and ethnic abuse Um, when I first kind of started getting my nose above the water and getting noticed I used to get some really really disgusting anti-semitic holocaust imagery and stuff and that crowd is mostly is pretty much gone now uh but the, the 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 problem is it's obvious you shouldn't be allowed to call someone the n-word or write a you know or, or you say obvious again under brandenburg it wouldn't be obvious but in it, under the reasonable man's standard the you know the humane the humane let's you know let's not be a disgusting place, even if we're a strictly legal place. I do think that what they've done, this is becoming now a theme of the last several episodes of this podcast, is they've changed the definitions. In other words, 10 years ago, five years ago, we would all agree it would be inappropriate for someone to be allowed to stay in a decent social media community if he called black people the N-word and he called—I uh, don't want to go through the slurs—but used the traditional ethnic slurs as we understand them. And I think we would all agree that there would be there would be um, uh, con- con- consensus on that. But what's happened now is that we're required to acknowledge every bit as validly every bit as solidly that doubting whether a man has really made himself a woman or is really a woman or vice versa or calling a black person white who insists well it's usually the other way around right whatever these rules are and they're 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 printing new ones every day <laughs> We have to adhere to these as soon as they are promulgated, as soon as the memo gets out. So there are all these people who have been kicked off Twitter not for saying the N-word, not for saying let's, you know, it's springtime for Hitler in Germany, but but for saying things like, hey, here's an approach to treating COVID that's different from what the government says, and here's why I want you to listen to me about it. Or... I don't think California did a great job of monitoring election security, or
1: that's not a woman, that's a guy. Yeah, that and, and is I, the problem. No, and, and you're absolutely right. And I, I said, Brandon Brandenburg, and you're right. There has to be a reasonable man standard. The problem is it hasn't been reasonable, as you pointed out. You know, they have, they have completely hijacked the language and made the standard, to allow people to not be offended. And you know, that's and the problem is once you get to that, once offense is the standard as opposed to incitement to violence, you got a slippery slope of some sort. And in our case, it's a slippery slope going both directions. So the, the question becomes: what is the minimum amount of censorship you can do to truly offensive ideas and speech? That does not affect the ability for opposing viewpoints and ideas to be fairly evaluated, even if they are edgy, even offensive. And I think that's that's kind of a a place where I think Elon's closer to the truth, you know, closer to what I would consider the, the truth being the chance for ideas to fight in a marketplace and the best ones win. And I think that includes things that that the left does not want to be said. And so they've been very successful in creating that thought policed environment where woke dogma is the standard. And I think if he breaks that, and then Twitter is a place where you can actually fight out opposing viewpoints and things can be said, um, that's gonna affect all the rest of the platforms as well. And I think in, in a positive way.
0: That's right. You know, And even if that weren't to happen, even if you were to make no substantive changes whatsoever, but said, we're going to add some transparency, or accountability, or both, because I guess there's some, they're really two sides of the same coin. And when we say that something, first of all, we're going to tell you why you were banned. Mm-hmm. and Second of all, we're going to tell you what our you know what standards we applied, and and we're going to apply them consistently. That is really what's missing from you know above all what's missing from the equation now is is any sense of good faith or consistency
1: and I, and I think part of that is the the internal bias at twitter and google and facebook and the rest of these um tech tyrannies is so overwhelmingly leftists that their confirmation bias is worse than the vatican you know i mean they they don't have any ability to to see differing ideas as anything but evil at this point. You know, if you do if you cross one of those lines, if you refuse to accept a trans man or woman as what they claim to be, not what their biology says, then you must be banned, you must be shut down because you're dangerous. And that, I think, you know, back to the the way we got into this, that concept has been weaponized by the Biden DHS in, in their partnerships with the tech companies because they're now giving guidance, official guidance as to what they think can cause domestic terrorism if it is allowed to propagate on social media. And that horrifies me. So I think if we can put a, a stake in the heart of the idea that the tech company's job is to censor things that the left doesn't want and that the state wants shut down, um, we will have done the world a disservice and, or a service and allowed, you know, America to be the, the country that is is the leader in free speech worldwide.
0: Well, you know, that's, it is really important. And, you know, let's go back to first principles of being a conservative. Why, I mean, it's not as if everyone, again, everyone who listens to this doesn't have an idea, but I, I'd like to, if I can, get your idea of, why, why the hell do we need to depend on Twitter to do this for us? So that, you know, uh, Elon Musk comes along, who knows what he's really going to do. Why, don't, why isn't it good enough to just, uh, you, you know, uh, go to an alternative uh, platform, get our, get our views, uh, you know, uh, expressed somewhere else?
1: Well, there's a, a concept in technology called the network effect which means when the network gets to a certain number of nodes, in this case, users or whatever, that it's, it's near impossible to overcome that as a startup. And, and that's just from a pure technological perspective. Then if you add into that, the idea that any of the startups that are against, you know, that, that are basically focused on conservative ideas, the left will never join. So you can never get to that critical mass that, that Twitter has, that Facebook has, that Google and YouTube have, where they've got both sides there already and they have their monopoly established and the network effect makes it difficult to compete. And any startup then also has the difficulty that the left won't join. So I, I think we have to fight for the ones that exist. That's why I, I may disagree that antitrust laws is the best way to go or or agree that it's not the best way, but it may be the only way when Google and Facebook control 60% of online advertising and you can't ask a question online anywhere to get any kind of information without getting it filtered through a leftist lens because Google controls so much of the search. So those are, those are things that I don't think you can overcome using any other way. And we may have to use the, the government power and state power to overcome that and then deal with the consequences of having, you know, created a more of a, of a bureaucratic nightmare and try to neuter them afterwards. I
0: think you're right. And I think also that if, you know, if you, if, if you get that process going, then you at least, you know, you're shining some daylight, some sunshine into how these decisions are made. These decisions are made. And the reason there hasn't been even a sort of friendly antitrust, um, you know, uh, settlement, a you know, a consent decree of some kind, because there are obviously issues out there. They involve search. Forget about social media itself, because it's not, it is hard to evaluate what the market is, what, you know, if, if Google is, if Twitter is the only Twitter, I mean, Twitter is the only Twitter, you know? right. so we can imitate Twitter, But that's like saying you and i could go into the garage and start a car company okay so it worked for you know it it worked for mr mr musk but it it hasn't made any money actually it's made him money Um, nonetheless you at least get i think the reason that that hasn't happened is that is that because you would have to be approval by a judge there would be people who would who would try to intervene and these government agencies are by and large pretty friendly you know to these guys and they're largely staffed by them and of course there's this tremendous amount of money that google spends uh in congress Mm -hmm. including to you know uh, giving support to a lot of republicans i you know it is funny to me you mentioned before it took me a second to find it the idea that offendedness is the criterion i you know i had a couple weeks ago i had the rare pleasure of really uh interviewing what i think would you could call the the jim hansen of um of the uk by that i mean count De- count dankula <laughs> oh he's a wild man he is a, he is a mad lad you might say and he is um i really would was, was taken by him and i actually like i just about the only podcast i listen to it's just because he explains He's got a staff of writers they do this research on these interesting historical figures i'm generally don't like listening to podcasts because they take t- too long to listen to i read ridiculously fast and i don't but his accent i i can't do a scottish accent in my head just to listen to him say these things but one of the things we were talking about was how um in the UK he was arrested for a for posting a tasteless video. And we both confirmed that it was tasteless and inappropriate. He's not an anti Semite, but anyone looking at that video might think he was, or might think that he just had a really bad sense of humor. Blah, blah, blah. And he explained to me how the only criterion in under UK law for a prima facie case of being arrested for a hate crime. Which is a real crime. I mean, for 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 wrong speech, hate speech in the UK is if the complainant feels offended. Is if the complainant feels offended. So what? Amazingly, though, is that this was yesterday's tweet from the something called the USA Singers. Oh my! Can you freaking imagine? And of course, uh, and I, yes, I did report it because it is, it is defamatory. It is defamatory. And Jen is a friend. Um, insane. It is insane that, uh, you know, that kind of stuff uh, go, happens, but the, and culturally it's, it's a disaster, but it's cert- we certain what we can say is that Twitter definitely has a policy of deleting stuff. Or ban, banning stuff for people if they're offensive. Offensive. They love offensive. It gets engagement going. And, you know, they just don't like certain kinds of offensive.
1: You got to go get the pizza from the from the front door,
0: Jim. It's, it...
1: <laughs> I don't have to. I think I think that's already handled. Um, but I, I think you've outlined the problem. Is who decides what's offensive? You know, that's the problem with thought policing. Uh, is is there is no way in a in a culture now on the left where they have been trained to be grievance mongers. You know, your entire existence, you're d- divided into your identity groups. And then in your identity group, you have to find an issue to be aggrieved about. And then you gather together and force some sort of, of spoils or payment from whoever has offended you. Maybe that's banning them, sometimes it's money, whatever. And there's an entire culture built around it and, and built around the idea that you somehow have a right to be free from offense and you manifestly do not per the constitution, but for private organizations, they can pander to whoever they want, but you can't ever satisfy that sense of entitled grievance, you know, that that these people have cultivated. So I think we need to push the bar for offensive back towards Lenny Bruce. And away, you know, from the idea that Ricky Gervais is now the new Hitler. You know, you can say things that that hurt people's feelings and that are rude and that are even crude, uh, if they're not legally actionable, or they're not in some way, you know, creating such an environment of hatred that reasonable people, not woke leftists, would agree that that's you know beyond the pale then I think that has to be accepted. And then you get back what we have lost as a culture, the ability to shame people who suck. There are plenty of them. And we should bring back shaming because that's the correct answer for someone who does a tweet like you showed. You know, I don't want them, you know, if if they defamed her and she's got a legal action, okay, great, she can do it, she's a lawyer. Um, But really what should happen is everybody who knows and can see to the USA singers who did that should tell them how crude, rude, and socially unacceptable that was and how we will not deal with you, you know, shun you or or do that rather than having the institution or the platform be in the position of refereeing beefs between perpetually aggrieved leftists and edgy, you know, rightists. I I think that's... that's But culturally speaking,
0: how how does that happen? You know, how how does that... I mean, it's not... I don't know whether uh, Twitter made everyone uh, nastier or everyone was nasty and Twitter's allowing them to show it, but can that genie ever go back
1: in the bottle? What has to happen? Um, at, well, at some level, so what? You know, I mean, okay, I, uh, people call me names. I, I'm sure you're well aware, they call you names. They call me every name and every insult in the world. And the correct answer to that is who cares? Now that's difficult. And then there are you know sustained campaigns where someone no, being no, no, on cares? the left will who
0: cares we care, right? because we you're talking about getting us back to a place where shame exists, where accountability for un, for, for antisocial expressions of hatred and all the things has some some consequences.
1: Okay, no, and that's fair. I think maybe I explained that poorly. I'm saying if someone reminds me that I'm bald or that I'm old or that I'm white, which happens all the time, or old, bald, white guy, it happens quite a bit, um, that needs to be ignored. But when you get down to, to truly offensive, rude, crude things, I think the element of shame is a better answer to that than any sort of institutional action but I, I want on the part of all the people who are, are willing to feel offended, why don't we ratchet up our personal body armor a notch or two and go ahead and not care about more of that stuff and save it for the, the truly ridiculous things and the truly absurd and the truly mean and, and cruel and offensive things as opposed to you know, what we've gotten at this point, which is, oh my God, you know, you called me a name, you must be killed. And I think if we push the bar back towards uh, the right to offend away from the right to be free from offense, that's the correct direction. And then we can at least take it from there.
0: Okay. So finishing off here, you think that's something we should do. You don't seem to have necessarily a better idea of how to do it than I do. Besides just girding our loins, fighting the good fight, not giving in where we don't have to give in. Is there anything you think from a civic or organizational or organizing point of view that we could do to move things in that direction?
1: I, I think tone matters, you know, and and there's a a lot of my friends right now are very ready, and myself included, are, are ready to fight, you know, rhetorically, figuratively, and hopefully not literally but to stop taking it because for too long, we on the right have, have basically tried to maintain the moral high ground and we will not get in and sling you know, mud and all that stuff. And I think what happened is as we've done that, we've probably gone too far. And, and I don't think we're done yet. You know, I, I'll, be, I'll be honest. I, I don't think we have managed to fight hard enough yet to show that we're willing to do anything. But at some point, we have to be willing to say, given this set of circumstances, Circumstances, meaning free speech and lack of censorship and no thought police and those kinds of things, we will as a community get back to the, the Judeo Christian values that made this country great and that kind of police that, you know, that give you a moral framework for how you should deal with other people. But as long as those other people are still, as they are now, trying to shut us up by abusing state power. Uh, I don't think we can get there, so I think we're probably a, a generation away from that. But I think it's okay to start saying that should be the end goal. And how can we, in the meantime, create a free speech safe space that will allow us then to stop being such jerks to each other?
0: Jim, thank you very much. Great having Always you a on, pleasure. and 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 talking and uh, poking your poking your shiny pate to see what's under there. I'm and... offended. <laughs> Coming from me, especially. <laughs> okay, I'll see you, uh, see, see you at the races, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at Coleman nation.com That's Coleman-Nation.com, or you can visit my blog at LikelihoodOfConfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast, and have a great day.